This is an ABC podcast. People with mental health are more likely to talk to their peers than a mental health worker. Having these sorts of programs to encourage peers to engage with each other and it role models what you should be doing. As the Northern Territory grapples with the highest suicide rates in the nation, there's a boxing program that's packing a punch when it comes to building resilience in young people. We'll have that story soon. And with pineapples aplenty and red wine stocks overflowing, some producers around Australia are worrying about what to do with excess produce. As Christmas draws closer, farmers are calling on shoppers to look for foods in high supply. They just need to eat a heap of pineapple over summer. And how many pineapples would each person have to eat? Four or five a day. I'm Alex Hyman and this is Australia Wide. Every officer knows the risk that they face in the line of duty. They are all too aware of the dangers that they face. Yet they do their job, they do it for our community. That is courage and it is public service at the highest level. The Prime Minister has today thanked all police for their service following the death of two Queensland officers on the job. Four police officers were called to a property in Weambilla, west of Brisbane, around 4.30 yesterday afternoon. They are investigating a missing, missing person case, that of former school principal Nathaniel Train. When they arrived, they were met with a hail of gunfire. Two of the police officers, Constables Rachel McCrow, 29, and Matthew Arnold, 26, were killed in the ambush at the remote rural property in Western Downs. The offenders then lit a fire, which caught the attention of neighbour Alan Dare, who came to investigate and was also gunned down. More than a dozen specialist police officers were then dispatched to the rural property. A gunfight ensued, leaving the three shooters dead. They've been now identified as brothers Nathaniel Train and Gareth Train and his wife, Stacey Train. Flowers have been placed outside Chinchilla Police Station. Our reporter, Anthea Moody, was there and spoke to shocked residents. Well, I want you all to know you're loved, appreciated and respected. Yeah, I've been up since 2 o'clock this morning. I heard it and couldn't go back to sleep. I live at Brigalow. Couldn't wait to get in here. Are you just shocked this has happened in, in your community, in your patch? Mm. Yeah, those two young ones are up with God and the angels. They're worth all the accolades and respect in the world. It was a senseless act. It doesn't do anybody any good. It's just one of those things, you don't know what's going on in the world. In a small community, it's, um, you know, something like this happens and it's quite overwhelming. Not only that, you know, many, many years ago, my first job was in the police department. So I worked with police officers in the legal section and, um, you know, there are things that you just never forget. And um, they're a great bunch of people and we should never forget that they do a wonderful job. Our reporter, Anthea Moody, there speaking to members of the Chinchilla community earlier today in Western Downs. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. And you are with me, Alex Hyman. As the Northern Territory gra grapples with the highest suicide rates in the nation, there's a program that's packing a punch when it comes to building resilience in young people. In Alice Springs, high school students are strapping up for more conversations with mates to improve mental health outcomes in the outback town. Lee Robinson has this story. 
Inside this boxing gym in Central Australia, the final session is underway for a boxing program that's tackling mental health head-on. One of its participants is 16-year-old Jack Farrell. He knows only too well the devastating consequences of poor mental health, having lost multiple family members to suicide. Jack says he knows when his mental health is slipping. I don't exercise. I sort of find that my mental health declines. Um, when I'm active and I'm exercising, you know, it makes me feel good. And, you know, when I'm eating well and training. He's one of 18 young men participating in this government-funded, trauma-informed boxing program designed to equip high school students with the tools to deal with the challenges life throws their way. The program, called Making a Difference, or MAD for short, forms part of a suite of projects being rolled out under the Northern Territory Government's Suicide Prevention Strategy. So it's really tackling issues around you know, their everyday lives. Um, so we deal with mental health, anger management, dealing with emotions, and you know, um, I guess those uh, self-regulation strategies that we're trying to put in place. That's Steve Gardner. He's been teaching boxing for about 20 years now and he's running the MAD program for the third year. The sessions combine sparring and pads and bag work alongside discussions about mental health determinants like eating right, getting enough sleep and limiting screen time. The program's based on respect, resilience and relationships. Uh, the first thing they come in is they learn respect from there, you know, the training is all about resilience and, you know, I push them as hard as I can. I try and make it as fun as possible. And there's a lot of different aspects around boxing that you can do with it. Federal government data from 2021 paints a bleak picture. 18.4 people are lost to suicide for every 100,000 people in the Northern Territory, a rate almost double that of Victoria. Among young people aged 15 to 24, suicide is the leading cause of death with males about three times more likely to die by suicide than females. And for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, who make up a third of the Northern Territory's population, they're twice as likely to take their own lives compared to the rest of the population. People with mental health are more likely to talk to their peers than a mental health worker. So, you know, having these sorts of programs to encourage peers to engage with each other and, you know, in a safe environment, it role models what you should be doing. We're building on strong leaders and having them feel comfortable and asking the, you know, people, are you okay? Steve Gardner again. For maths teacher Matt Scoz, seeing the students engaging positively with each other has been a rewarding experience. You know, I'm on first name terms with them. Uh, I see them around the school frequently. We stop and have a chat. Uh, I can just sort of see uh, a buoyancy in them. Mr. Scott says teaching young men to be there for their mates is a key message of the program, which is important in a town that's grappling with various social problems. That sort of, sort of uh, fable of it takes a, a village to raise a child, you know, I think it's a really important approach to take in a small community like Alice Springs. As part of the eight-week program, students from different grades partner up, helping younger students make new connections as they transition into their final years of high school. For Jack, it's time for him to take the lessons he's learned inside the ring out into the real world. And he wants to see his mates opening up more about how they're going. I think it's really important for blokes to come and 
open up about it and it's not just sit down having a really heavy sort of deep chat about it it's you know, doing the program exercising sort of having a laugh having some fun and then getting a little bit more serious and opening up about things to each other and yeah Lee Robinson with that story from Alice Springs. And if this story has raised concerns for you or anyone you know, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. You are indeed on Australia Wide with me, Alex Hyman. It's great to have your company. In a year with challenging environmental conditions, many farmers have been left reeling from lost and damaged crops. But other farmers have the opposite problem. In North Queensland, plenty of pineapples are growing and in South Australia, the red wine is flowing. With some industries tipped to face an oversupply of produce this summer, many farmers are worrying about what to do with the excess. As households begin planning the menu for Christmas lunch or dinner, producers are calling on consumers to look for foods in high supply. Ashley Bagshaw has this story. A year plagued by floods, fires and droughts has left many producers reeling from losses to their crops. But those who've seen a good season are experiencing a very different type of struggle. North Queensland pineapple grower John Zelenka says an unusually cold winter in Queensland, the state where the majority of the country's pineapples are produced, has spelled trouble for the industry. This year we've had an enormous amount of natural flowering to the point of in our smooth leaf it's probably at about 50% and in our hybrids it's probably 80 or 90%. And do you have any idea what's brought on this flowering? I spoke to a couple of people and they seem to think that it was that we had five very cold days in winter and all the planets sort of aligned and this this actually happened, caused it. This is the worst case of natural flowering in the history of the pineapple industry in Queensland. And I'm guessing you've spoken to growers across other regions as well then? Yeah, and everyone seems to be in the same situation. So the problem will be is the bulk of Queensland's pineapple crop is all going to come on over two or three months and then there will be less during the middle of the year. And so where does your fruit primarily go then? Uh, we supply all local markets around Mac in the Mackay region, um, the IGAs and, and a lot of private fruit vendors and then we also send quite a bit to Brisbane and Melbourne. What is the plan going forward as a grower? I'm not quite sure. Uh, we'll just have to see what we can do to get... I'll probably push to try and get even rid of even more in this region because I'd be pretty assured that the price in the big markets in Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney will be not that high if there's a massive oversupply. They just need to eat a heap of pineapple over summer. And how many pineapples would each person have to eat? Four or five a day. Meanwhile, South Australia's red wine sector has been experiencing an ongoing glut and producers are anticipating another tough year in 2023. Managing Director of Taylor's Wines, Mitchell Taylor, says the industry is continuing to struggle to find markets to send product to. Yes, we're seeing quite severe oversupply because we've had the factor with China a couple of years ago, all of a sudden decided to put 
horrendous tariffs on our wines of 218%. So all this red wine that, that needed to be aged that was developed in the vineyards really hasn't found another place to go. So at the time when the uh, tariffs were put on, we actually had a, an undersupply situation. So I think this vintage coming up vintage 2023 in the new year, we'll really see some big pressures. And unfortunately, a lot of the wineries just don't have capacity with their tanks to take the excess supply in, into the wineries. So I think we'll probably have to leave a lot of fruit um, out on the vineyard uh, for this season. Australian wine, still the domestic market is our biggest market. And it's just, yeah, supporting um, our local producers would be really um, beneficial for everyone. The avocado industry is also on the verge of another big crop. By 2026, the country's supply is anticipated to be at around 170,000 tonnes, more than double the 80,000 tonnes produced in 2021. Sarah Tucker-Bame, an avocado grower in South Australia's Riverland, says while growers may not be seeing a repeat of the glut experienced in 2021, this year's crop is once again looking strong. We had a record crop last year and every growing region in Australia had a record crop, so it was a massive amount of avocados and we expected this year to be a lot lighter than it is. It, the avocados have produced well again <laughs> and, uh, and we're busy, but uh, thankfully the market is better because there's not quite in flux that there was last year with all the other growing regions. It's looking good at the moment. Avocados are looking great for Christmas, so that's exciting. That's Sarah Tucker-Bame, an avocado grower in South Australia's Riverland, ending that story from Ashley Bagshaw. And you can read more about that story online. You can find it on the ABC Rural website. This is ABC Australia Wide. Now, it has been a difficult year for many small businesses recovering from COVID and natural disasters, but as work towards recovery carries on, some new businesses are breathing life back into these communities. This next story takes us to Lismore in New South Wales, where just last week a new cafe opened its doors. The new owner, Lily Cook, is deaf, and her cafe is fast becoming a hub for the large deaf community in the region. Reporter Emma Rennie has this story. There's a new cafe in Lismore and it has all the usual offerings, coffee, cake and different options for lunch. But there's a little less talking out loud here than other cafes around town because owner Lily Cook is deaf. I wasn't born deaf. I lost my hearing when I was two from meningitis. Meningitis. So I had to learn how to manage and fight to get my way through, to survive. Lily is a new arrival in Lismore, but she's worked in hospitality for 25 years and ran her own coffee shop in Gyra before she moved here. But I thought I'd like to work for myself because the bosses are always, you know, a bit bossy and, you know, do this and do that. They don't really understand deaf people. So I thought, why don't I do it by myself and be independent? The Northern Rivers has historically been a gathering place for the deaf community, with families attracted by education services that were not available in other regional areas. That means the grand opening of Lily's Cafe has a strong show of support. 
It's one of the biggest things to happen, I think, for the deaf community here in Lismore. Auslan interpreter Nikki McGowan stops by for a cuppa and ends up spending several hours sitting with a large group of deaf community members. Oh, it's so special to have this. It's, it's such a rare thing in Australia to have a deaf-run cafe and to have a fully deaf-run business. And it's, it's here in Lismore, especially after the, the turmoil the whole town's been through, to have this emerge is just beautiful. Lily says the welcome from the deaf community has been warm and greatly appreciated. Yeah, because before I moved here, I've never been involved with the deaf community. Not for a long time. Because I was out in the country and there was not a lot. There was only one other deaf person. So I forgot how to sign. And I became rusty with my Auslan. But now I'm here, I'm like, wow, I'm picking it all up again. The first week that I moved here, I met at least 10 deaf people straight away. And then it's just building up and now there's like 30 that I've met and I've become friends with them all and they've all added me on Facebook. It's not just the deaf community excited to see a new business in town. Nicholas O'Connor and Nick Palmer make up the Nickies and they spend a morning performing at the cafe's grand opening with live music and a visual performance where Nick paints to the music. Well, we just love the idea of supporting Lismore coming back to life, you know, after yeah. the events this year. We've been sort of incorporating painting into our performance for a long time. It wasn't something that we actually realised would be so cool for this cafe, you know, in particular. But it really uh, works really well. I mean, it's just another creative element that, you know, it can probably maybe reach a broader audience. A lot more people can, re can relate to it. Lily hopes her cafe can become a bit of a melting pot for deaf and hearing people. I would like to have more deaf staff and have a meeting place for them to come, like a hub for both hearing and deaf people to come together. That's what I'd like to do. Lily communicates with hearing customers who don't know sign language or Auslan in a range of ways, reading lips, using gestures or mime or even writing messages down. She says her biggest challenge is facing occasional negativity. So if you're thinking of dropping by and don't know Auslan, she has a few words of advice. I would like to, hearing people in our to be open-minded and not to be afraid with deaf people when they try to communicate with them. Don't turn your face away, we need to see your mouth. We need to try and be passionate and open-minded. The difference is the negativity from some people. But I just ignore the negativity. I just follow my dream to do what I want to do because that's the way I grew up. And you get a free cupcake because you're one of the first 20. Thank you.
That was cafe owner Lily Cook and Auslan interpreter Gal Smith wrapping up that report from Emma Rennie in Lismore. And finally, we head to Northern WA where school students are waking up extra early for a very important mission. From 4am, primary school kids are patrolling Cable Beach doing their bit to help monitor a threatened turtle species. From Broome, reporter Jessica Hayes has the story. It's a dark, muggy morning in the car park above Broome's famed Cable Beach. But that hasn't dampened the spirits of a group of students from Roebuck Primary School, including Indy, who's up at the crack of dawn to search for turtle tracks. I'm happy and I'm really excited to be here because this is a good learning opportunity. It's the time of year when flatback turtles scuttle up the beach to lay their eggs. The species is under threat by four-wheel drive activity and a changing climate. So these students want to do whatever they can to help protect them. If we don't find them, um, there's a chance that someone might run over the um, nest. The children are collecting important data. Counting the eggs, marking nests, taking photos and measuring the width of the tracks. We have to check to see what kind of turtle it is. And science teacher Leanne Blackley is overseeing the process. So we've found a fresh track coming up. We have to check to see what kind of turtle it is. So we've done a measurement. If it's between 90 and 100 centimetres, it will be a flatback, which we've seen. We also look at the tail drag to determine it. Once we work out what turtle it is, we will flag it which we put the date on and we also record all the information and take photos through our app and then that gets taken to the rangers. The rangers in a day or so will swap a temporary flag to a more permanent one which have all the dates and information on it and when the turtle should be due. The turtles are also important to Yaru traditional owners like Luke Portolano who works for the Department of Biodiversity Conservation and Attractions. Turtles in general are cultural highly cultural um, importance uh, for Yarra people um, and you know wider people in the Kimberley regions um, they offer you know food uh, both you know the turtle itself is meat but also uh, people collect uh, the eggs as well um, and sustainably I might add uh, so you don't you know collect all of them at once collect enough for feed and then you know try and wisp over the sand uh, to encourage that um, that I guess that um, life cycle to continue. But um, along Cable Beach, uh, just as we pass the rocks when you come down the beach ramp, um, that's a, a site of significance um, which is uh, turtle dreaming. So it's, um, yeah, really, I think that it's you know, linked to why the turtles nest along here. He's along on today's mission to share his traditional Sometimes knowledge with the next generation. And he hopes teaching the students more about the animals will lay the foundations for future conservation. From Yarra perspective, I think um, just being able to come out here and walk with school kids um, and have them involved in other um, research projects um, that, the, that the rangers and, and Yambuburi Yarra are involved in is really important to, to really push that cultural sensitivity and cultural uh, knowledge onto, onto kids as well. We know that they're learning language, Yarra language in schools, so you know that's that's the first part of it, and the second part of it is is you know getting that cultural knowledge for for, for the land and land management as well, and so to be able to come out here and, and share any knowledge with the kids is is 
is really important and, yeah, and very good thing to do. The turtle monitoring is just one of a range of environmental activities being undertaken by students like Rowan. Uh, well, we've been keeping the school environment like trying to get rid of all the rubbish around it. We've set up compost bins. Teacher Leanne says it's about something much bigger. It's mainly part of our leadership groups that we have in our school and what they generally do is they just choose something that they're interested in at the start of the year and all these children are interested in environmental care and at the start of the year we just brainstorm anything that they're interested in and this was one of the things on our brainstorm that we had um, and so yeah we've pursued it we've also done quite a few other things like we've um, introduced compost bins in our school and um, had environment days to you know out, power out hours and things like that so it's really promoting environmental care. That story from reporter Jessica Hayes in Broome in WA's Kimberley region. And that's Australia Wide for this Tuesday. Remember, you can podcast the show or listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app or by visiting the Australia Wide website. Just search for ABC Australia Wide. And you can always email as well. As well. Uh, we'd love to hear what's happening in your part of the world. The email address is australiawide.radio at abc.net.au. I'm Alex Hyman. Have a wonderful evening. I'll be back again with you tomorrow. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.